0: I, uh those of you who saw the fa- my Facebook post, my plan tonight had been for us to start looking as we were moving through uh, a systematic theology. We were supposed to start tonight with um, ecclesiology, the study of, of the church. And the beginning of that is to look at a very important, complex idea of being in Christ. Uh, but I knew when I saw the weather today and saw that it was supposed to be raining all the way until uh, tomorrow, that that a lot of people wouldn't be able to make it, and I, my thinking was was that if you miss this, the rest of what we're going to talk about about the church won't make as much sense because we're going to talk about the idea of the universal church, which is made up of all believers who have ever been and ever will be, everywhere, and how we're bought with a price, and so we want to nail this concept down completely as we go forward. Just to, and I've tried to do this every time we get to a our natural little breaks, uh, talk about what we've done and where we're going, and I'll do that in greater detail tomorrow night, but I w- wanted to let you know that once we finish ecclesiology, we will go to end-time stuff, so I know that that some of you are excited about that, and, and I've, I know I've said a lot as we've talked about, we'll get there, we'll get there. Well, we're, we'll be there uh, probably after the first of the year, we'll start end-times, and And eschatology, and once we finish that, we will actually have gone all the way through Grudem Systematic Theology. And I've been praying about what to do next. Uh, Ann was telling me, you just start over. Nobody will know. And I'm like, well, thanks. That means that you're saying that nobody's listening to me. Um, I think what I've decided to do that once we finish Ecclesiology, which will be this summer, that what we're going to do is take the next year and a half or so and just walk through each book of the Bible and try to connect them together. Go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and every Wednesday night do a different book of the Bible and just try to, to walk through that and get a really big overview. Um, and so I, I think that's what we'll do once we're finished up, and then maybe we will go right back into do the systematic theology again. I don't know. We'll see. Um, that's right. Yes, as slow as I am, that's true. That's true. It'll just be a totally different crowd. I might be dead too, and then then the next guy's problem, not mine. Um, so there's that. What I wanted to do tonight, since I knew we'd have a little bit of a smaller crowd, this week I've gotten a bunch of questions from people, oh, from what Susie and Jeff and, and, and Judy and I talked about, and I thought we could just take some time and address some of those questions. One of those questions was, as we talked about uh, uh, Capernaum, uh, I had made some comments about you know, well, the way this was, and I had several people that said, well, how do we know that's the way it was? Where do you get that? Is that just something, are you, and, and really, the, the number one source uh, for that kind of information is this book here, if you want to, a good background for your Bible study is this book. It is a great book, it's called Everyday Life in Bible Times, and you want to get a, a newer copy of it, not the older copy, uh, because... Um, there's new archaeology. Every, every, in fact, w- where we were, um, there's Capernaum here, which is kind of uh, one of those places where it was destroyed in 70 A.D., and then it was rebuilt, and then it was destroyed again in 400 A.D., and so you kind of have to sift through the millennia to get back to Jesus' time. Just right down the road, uh, maybe 20 miles Uh, There's another city called Magnala, which is where Mary Magdalene was from, that wasn't even discovered until 1987. Like somebody was out uh, hoeing their tomatoes, and bam, they found the rock, and they dug down a little bit and more, and then bam, there's a city there. And so it was destroyed in 70 AD, and so there's nothing was built on top of it, and so they're still doing archaeological digs there. We're still getting more information. In fact... The, the God that we had was telling us that the, the stone that the scrolls would have been laid out on to, to read from the Torah um, had scenes around it from the temple that would have been the temple that Jesus went in, and they're learning from those scenes what life, day-to-day life in the temple would be like right now and, and today. So there's new information coming out, and so this book is always updated with um, everything from, from how, what did family life look like, how did a, a, as a child was raised, what would happen, this, you know, that a boy would grow up and then at a certain age he would be sent to, to school and then if, if he made it through the first three years, then he would go on to religious school. If not, he'd be sent back to his dad to learn a trade. That kind of information is here and they, it explains why archaeologically we feel that's the case. And so it's, it's just full of pictures. It's a fun read. Um, it's oftentimes that I will, will pull this out to look up uh, some concept that I'm, I'm preparing. You know, I'm preaching the book of Luke, and, I look, and I'll look that up. And then about three hours later, I'll still be there, and I'm reading about how they, they, they grew wheat um, in, in 80 AD. And, and because it's just so, it's a fascinating read. Another good source, uh, how many here have ever used the Thompson Chain Reference Bible? Love the Thompson Chain Reference. It's a Bible kind of like the Schofield, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Schofield Bible, whatever that thing was. So it's like the Schofield Bible, and then it's got notes all on the side. Uh, What Thompson tried to do was chain ideas together in the Bible, and so it's got those side notes. The companion, uh, Thompson Chain Reference Companion is the same sort of thing where it has Lots of archaeological information uh, as applies to, to, like, what is the Dead Sea Scroll and likeness about that particular text kind of thing. And it uses all the same numbering system as the Thompson chain. And it's got, again, it's got lots of pictures where it makes you feel like you're there. And it's another great resource as you're looking at the archaeology uh, from um, the Bible. I made reference last week to this... And several people ask me, what is Josephus? Okay, so uh, in 70 AD, when Titus came and was destroying uh, the nation of Israel, they had, they had bowed up and Titus was done, or the, the Caesar was done, and so he sent Titus to destroy Israel um, and uh, he captured uh, a man named Flavius uh, Josephus. And Josephus wrote about um, everyday life in Israel. He wrote about things that was going on. Uh, So we have extra biblical writings about... So outside of the Bible, we have stuff about John the Baptist. We have stuff about Jesus. Uh, Not a whole lot about Jesus. Actually, more about John the Baptist than we have about Jesus. But just he wrote about everything that was happening in Israel before it was destroyed. So this is a snapshot of the first century and what life was like. Um, If you ever do decide to go to seminary, you will get to know Josephus about as well as you you know the the Bible because it's always referenced. Uh, He's considered to be an accurate source. And so... um, He's a good tie-in to to the other main question I got. And more than any other, this is what I got. I don't understand what's going on in Israel today. I don't understand what you mean by West Bank. I don't understand why there's a wall there. Could you just take some time and walk us through what's going on? And so let's start here. In 70 AD, Israel was a a, uh, province of Israel. It was was governed by Herod, uh, and everything was trucking along, and the Jewish people uh, wanted to be out from under Roman rule. And so we'll start at about 70 A.D. when Titus marched through and destroyed everything. Uh, It was interesting, everywhere we went, people said, this was such and such until 70 A.D. when Titus destroyed it. The, you look at the old city of Jerusalem, the walls that you're looking at are not the walls that Jesus would have seen. Those walls were torn down in 70 AD and uh, rebuilt um, by a guy named Suleiman uh, who rebuilt the city. So in 78 AD, everything was destroyed. The side of the temple, which would have sat on the western wall, was clad in gold. And so as the walls was, were being breached... Um, the, the Roman soldiers built fires, which gold is a soft metal which caused that gold to melt and run down between all of the stones. And so the Roman soldiers literally took their little short swords and dug in between those stones and pushed them over so they could get that gold out. And so Jesus' prophecy that not one stone would be left on top of the other was fulfilled. In fact, the only area where there's any of the stones left is the Western Wall where you see pictures of, of Jewish people worshiping because in their mind, that is the place that's closest to the Holy of Holies. And so when we were there, you saw um, hundreds of, of Orthodox Jewish men and, and I didn't see any of the ladies because they separate uh, the men and the women but they were all men and then some people would be there as tourists and some people were there and they they actually had a area like a little pavilion area where you could get a pulpit kind of looking thing it looked just like this and they would walk up to the wall and they would put lay out their the the Torah and they would read that Torah as they rocked back and forth and you saw lots and lots of people there doing that and that's uh, a modern Jewish form of worship. So after Titus destroyed Jerusalem, there wasn't a whole lot left. Unlike the Babylonian captivity where all the people who were taken off were taken to a specific location, the Jewish people were literally scattered. They were fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel that said, my people will be cast to the four winds. The Jewish people were literally scattered. And we know from archaeology that a a large group went to Spain, Uh, we had groups that went to to Rome. We had groups that ended up in Germany. We had a large group that that ended up in what is now Russia. The Jewish people were just scattered. They did not have a homeland. Caesar renamed Israel. He stopped calling it Israel, and he changed the name to Palestine, which literally means wanderers uh, in Latin. And he did that to thumb his nose at the Jews who were left in Israel. To say, this ain't your land anymore. It would be as if somebody came in and took over the United States and, it, and said, we're not calling it America anymore. We're going to call it uh, the hole in the ground. That would really be the equivalent. The wordless place. And so Palestine it means the people that would just wander around. Um, it, some people have tried to tie it to the Phil- Philistines. And that word has similar etymology, but it really was Latin for the wanderers. And so that's why up until 1948 the land was called Palestine because the Romans, since they conquered everything, got the, the right to name everything. England is called England because and when they made the maps they thought it was at a weird angle. So we're going to call that place Angleland. And everybody who lived there was like, what are you talking about? We already have a name. What do you, what, what? Um, regardless, so we were left with that name. So, after um, the Roman Empire fell, uh, those of you that have taken Western Civ know that the Roman Empire was replaced by the Byzantine Empire, and so the Byzantines and the people that were there came in and tried to control Israel. Now, we know that around um, 300 A.D. that Constantine uh, made everybody a Christian. And we all study our Bible well enough to know how well that works, right? If I were to walk out and say, all right, I'm now the mayor of Glencoe and everybody in Glencoe is a Christian, would that make everybody in Glencoe a Christian? No, (laughs) absolutely not. Um, And so, but now it became politically... Important if you were trying to be in government, if you were trying to, that you would be called a Christian. And so Constantine's mom, Helen, uh, in an effort to try to to promote Christianity in, in the Roman world, went to Israel and an angel told her where everything was. And so the reason why the Church of the Holy is where it, Sepulcher is where it is is because an angel told her that's where Jesus was crucified and rose, risen again. The reason why in Nazareth there's a, literally a silver star in the ground that says, bam, Jesus was born right here, is because this angel uh, told, told Helen that that's where it was. Um, I honestly think she was absolutely uh, crazy as a run-over dog. Liz, I'm sorry, I know that's an offensive term, so crazy as a road lizard, and so most of that stuff is superstitiously made up. Um, Some of it was places where everybody had, had said for the 300 years since the church happened, this is the place where it happened, so some of it's probably pretty accurate, and some of it's just superstitious silliness. Where those places are, there were Byzantine churches that were built there, um, and then just a few years later, when the first wave of, of Muslims came through, a lot of those churches were destroyed, um, and then they were the, those. Muslims were were followed a few years later by the Crusades because people, tourist pilgrims, like to come through the Holy Land. And so the Muslims were kidnapping them and selling them into slavery. They were were killing them. They were ripping them off. And so the Crusades went through, secured the, the Holy Land for Christian pilgrims. And then more churches were built on top of things, and you had comp- competing churches where you would have people who go, this is where Jesus was born, and it's now a Catholic church, and you'd have somebody come over here and go, ah, uh, Jesus was born here, we're going to build a-, a Greek church here. And so that's why around some of the sites you have multiple denominations of churches. Uh, in around 800 A.D., Suleiman the, the, the Great, uh, which is the Muslim way to pronounce Solomon, came through. He destroyed a bunch of the churches and uh, his uh, idea was to, to build mosques everywhere. And so after Suleiman, all the way up through the Ottoman Empire, it, Israel was in a Muslim nation. Now, um, in 19, and this is really where I, I, I want to get in other than the Western SEP. Okay, so after World War II, the U, newly formed UN had a problem. They had Jewish refugees all over Europe who had been taken out of their homes, put into um, ghettos all in, in major Germ- uh, in, in cities all over Europe by the Germans, and by, not only by the Germans, but by the local governments. And so after German, Germany lost World War II, now you had millions of Jews throughout Europe and the U.N. didn't have any place to send them. Their homes had been destroyed. There was, there was a refugee issue in general in Europe. Um, my grandmother would, uh, told me stories about how as a, as a 30-something-year-old in 1945, 46, and 47, that they would actually, as a family, gather food and mail it to kids in Europe because it was in the American consciousness that these people needed to be helped. And so you had the Marshall Plan, and you had Europe being rebuilt. And so the UN solution was, let's take what is Palestine now, this area, everything that's kind of marked off. Let's take Gaza, which is one of the primary population centers of Palestinians, the West Bank, and it's the West Bank of the Jordan River, this area in here... Let's let the, the Muslims that live in Israel move there, and we will resettle all these Jewish refugees that we have in Israel. That was the plan. And so England was at that point controlling um, the, the land that is now called Israel because uh, it, England had uh, defeated the Ottoman Empire in World War I, and so they had control of a lot of the Ottoman lands, um, Completely different history lesson. Ataturk in, in Turkey bowed up on Israel, defeated them uh, uh, at Gallipoli, And so the modern nation of Israel was born, but the rest of the Ottoman holdings uh, were, fell into British hands. So that was the plan and the partitioning of, of Palestine. So the, the darker green area, this area in here, the, the lower Negev and the upper Negev were Israel- uh, with a capital in Tel Aviv. And then this was going to be uh, Palestinian. the And the Palestinian people, that's a misnomer because they're really Ottoman people, Turks. In fact, it was really blew my mind how similar the West Bank was to Turkey. I mean, you could have literally hit me in the head in downtown Istanbul and knocked me out and drug me to w- the Western Bank, and I would have woke up and not know I was in a different city. The architecture looks the same. The food's the same. Uh, The only difference is they speak a different language. And even with that, there was a lot of crossover. Um, So that was the plan. The day after Israel declared its independence, if you see all these countries around Israel are Muslim countries, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Egypt, they attacked Israel. They said, okay, you're your own independent nation, so let's wipe it off the map. Literally the day after uh, Israel had a bunch of leftover World War II equipment. They were outgunned, out-people. is no logical reason why they shouldn't have been overrun. I believe that, that the, the covenant that God made with Abraham is still in, in effect, and they were able to fight those countries back to the, the partition borders. And so that's the way things trucked right along until... Um, In 1967, you had the Six-Day War. Now, the Six-Day War plan was that Egypt had amassed troops on the Israeli border uh, around Gaza. Uh, They had infiltrated the Gaza area because it was all Palestinian. That was fellow Muslims. uh, And Jordan was going to come over the Jordan River. And that was the plan. Israel knew it was going to happen. And so the day before everybody was supposed to attack, um, Israel attacked the attackers, uh, and did quite well. Um, They they completely emaciated the Egyptian air force in about three hours. The Egyptian air force was burned on the tarmac, and the Jordanian air force was soon to follow. Um, Within a few hours of that, Jordan and Egypt cried out to Syria and Lebanon, and so they decided to spin their air forces up and attack Israel, and Israel immediately burned them on the tarmac. Um, Some of the, the the uh, old M1 Abrams that the Israeli government had uh, to this day, the U.S. Army teaches the tactics that the Israeli government used to, to fight them off. It's just some amazing uh, ways that they drew, they, they would literally send one tank out and let everybody chase them down into a valley. And then as everybody chased them in the valley, they would have tanks in place all around the side and just blow them up. It is. This is called a six day war for a reason. It took them six days to completely destroy the militaries of all the countries that surrounded them. And they ended up where they pretty much all of the Suez, all the way to the canal. So if you look at a big map of Egypt, that whole section that was more land than all of the rest of Israel, Israel controlled. So they pretty much owned most of Egypt. They owned Jordan all the way up to their capital they had uh, taken over most of South Lebanon and a big chunk of Syria at the end of six days. And so the UN said, oh, wait, 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 settle down here, big shooter. We got a problem. So Israel agreed, here's what we'll do. We'll give you all that land back. Egypt will give you all the Suez back. Jordan will give you all your land back. Syria will give you all your land back. We'll stay out of Jordan. We want this land and Gaza, the natural borders of Israel, we that's the trade. They traded land for peace. Everybody agreed, everybody signed on the dotted line, and at that, that point, this is what it's called the 67 partition. Now, um, the countries who were directly involved all agreed. However, uh, the rest of the Muslim world did not agreed to that, and the UN never voted to accept the 67 partition lines. So Israel said, we agreed, we bought it, it's ours. So at that point, we had uh, a young man named Yasser Arafat, who was a part of an organization called the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and he felt like that there, the pa- Palestinians in Israel should be able to rule themselves. If you see, Jerusalem is in this weird little kick. During the partition in 1948, they recognized that Jerusalem was a city that was important to both the Muslims, the Christians, uh, and the, the Jews, and so they literally, just like they did Berlin, they took Jerusalem, took a map, put a cross in the middle of it, and divided it into quarters. Christian quarter, Muslim quarter, the international quarter, which hold, has the, the Dome of the Rock and the Western Wall, and then the um, Christian, Muslim, Jewish quarter. and That was the way it was left in 1948. In 1967, Israel had taken all of it. And at the end of 1967, they said, Jerusalem is our capital. But nobody recognized it as such. Um, It's the only country in the world that didn't have the opportunity to to say where their own capital was. It would be like if we said, we want to move the capital from D.C. to, um, what is the the geographical center? St. Louis of the United States. And then all the rest of the country said, no, you can't do that. That's literally what happened. Okay. So, uh, in 1971, um, you had the Yom Kippur War, which was... uh, where Jordan tried to, to retake the Western Bank, and that didn't go any any better than 1967. Uh, it, it, so, Yasser Arafat, um, as you know, uh, tried to. He literally used terrorism to to, to to have an effect on international opinion. And so, in the uh, with the American President Bill Clinton. Um, Rabin is the the representative of the Jewish nation. And Yasser Arafat, you had the Oslo Accords. In which uh, Israel agreed to trade land for peace. You've heard that on the news. And they said that all of this area, we will turn over. It will still be in Israel. We will still provide the defense. But it will be a self-ruled area. And everybody agreed. Yasser Arafat signed in the Oslo Accords. Rabin signed in the Oslo Accords and Clinton signed the Oslo Accords that the United States would act as an enforcer in this agreement. The Gaza Strip and the West Bank would be Palestine, and the um, what the per the 1948 minus this part up here, which Syria claims Israel stole the Golan Heights, uh, would also be involved in that. Um, after the Oslo Accord, Israel allowed. Palestine to be self-rule, not unlike on a larger scale to the way the um, uh, Cherokee Nation is in the United States. Within those borders, they they control garbage, they control mail, they control their own uh, police force, they control everything that happens inside of that area, Uh, but Israel still provides defense and they can't come up with any... Treaties that it's very similar to the way it is in Indian nations in the United States. In fact, that was one of the models that they tried to follow. In the 80s, what ended up happening, after the Oslo Accords, what ended up happening was was that there was a continuous number of people, of terrorists that would come out of the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the Golan Heights that would kill Israeli citizens. And so, after warning, after warning, after warning, Um, Israel decided to build a wall. And we all showed you pictures of this unbelievably huge wall that goes all the way around the the West Bank, encloses the roads, cuts off the Golan Heights. And so if you're in Palestine, you, you can get a work permit if nobody in your family has ever done anything they're not supposed to do. But if you've got a record, or anybody in your family has a record, you're stuck inside of Palestine. Now, clearly, uh, as I've said all this, I I lean toward Israel in in my view of things, in the way that that I feel like they should be treated. Um, However, today, inside of the West Bank, inside of the Gaza Strip, Gaza Strip's different because Hamas controls it. Inside of the West Bank, the Palestinian Authority controls things. Um, It is literally a, a... Five million people who are in prison in their own land they can't get jobs and there's no jobs to get I have pictures that I took of trash trucks that are white painted with a UN on the side there's no if, if I'm a 21 year old Palestinian there's no hope of me ever having a future I'm in jail in my own country there's no work to have, there's no education to have, there's no hope for, for me. And so you have a group of people inside of Palestine that are very frustrated. And they don't blame Yasser Arafat for signing a bad deal. They don't blame the terrorists who made the wall be created to protect their own nation. They blame Israel and they blame you and me as Americans. Because if you recall, during the Oslo Accords, we said we would be the enforcer of the Oslo Accords. So that's the situation that you have today, politically, in that little sliver of land. This area, from the tippy-tip top down to here, if you look at the scale, is about the distance from right here to the other side of Montgomery. It's a little bitty place. That is the most fought-over piece of real estate in human history. which in, in a lot of ways to me, again, proves the Bible. God said that I made a covenant with Abraham, and one of my favorite apologetics to use is, you ever met a Jewish person? Yeah. You ever met a Hittite? You ever met a Babylonian? I mean, you might meet somebody that's, that's Persian, but even that is, the, the bloodlines are all intermixed with Ottoman and every other thing in the world, but God has kept his people. That is a miracle. 6,000 years a group of people have survived in this same little sliver of land. I started to bring in here one of uh, Jonathan Edwards' commentaries book that was written in the sixteenth, uh, 17th century because it's really funny how he talks about how I know that in the book of Revelation it talks about all this stuff happening in Israel. It can't really happen in Israel because we know that there's no way that the Jews would ever return there. And yet, God did exactly what He said He would do. He said, I will bring my people back, and the desert will bloom. Okay, so I've talked a lot. Um, I burnt 96 calories. So I want to give you guys an opportunity 125 calories. Woohoo! I moved around a lot this one. So we got a few minutes. Um, I want to open the floor for questions. Not that I'm an expert but i can i can try my best and anything i don't know the answer to i will look it up yes ma'am you said that they don't have any hope of getting a job they're just in prison in that place of land then how do they survive their government assigned funds or something yes the non-states is pumping um i think i read 600 million dollars a month into the west bank now Since a few months ago, our president recognized Jerusalem as the the capital of Israel, the the Palestinian Authority, has said, we're done with America. And so our president has said, that's fine. And so he's cut the aid off, which has made them very angry at us. And so now trash services are being pulled back, um, hospital services are being pulled back, but the economy in the West Bank, it, the only thing that they have in their economy is tourism. And um, aren't many many Americans going to go to Bethlehem if they think they're going to get blown up? And so the economy is suffering. Our, our, the guy that was with us said that in Bethlehem, the guys, he, he kind of pulled us aside and said, hey, if you guys don't mind, we'd really like you to tip all the staff here because if they're working in Bethlehem, they're going to make about a third of the same job that they would have in, if they had it outside of the wall. And there's heavy, heavy unemployment. Uh, I asked several people, what's the unemployment rate in the West Bank? And I would just get a laugh, <laughs> all the people. So it's just a dire situation. I mean, again, if you just think in your mind, if somebody put a wall around Etowah County and said nothing's coming in, nothing's going out, well, we can't can't build anything because it can't leave. We can't. What you know? How, how's that going to work? No, I had somebody ask me that. And I did look that up. The surrounding, and this was the best that I got. I got from the CIA um, fact book. Jordan's economy right now is booming. They don't want an influx of refugees to water down their economy. And so they are are severely limiting Palestinian refugees coming into their country. Lebanon's economy is booming. They're actually rebuilding the country. And so construction jobs are plentiful. They don't want the Palestinians come and take in those jobs. And so the surrounding countries... Um, are not allowing uh, people to come in at all. And one of the things that, and this is something that I found interesting in all of the world. When I was in Turkey, uh, we had a lady that came to, uh, through very serendipitous ways, that came to Anne and asked her to um, disciple her. She had gotten saved. And this woman was Syrian. Now, she could be sitting right there, and I would have a hard time telling any difference between her and a Mexican, for that matter. But she couldn't walk down the street in Turkey without people cussing her because she was an Arab. And so there's those regional hatreds are huge. I was reading an article today about how people in Egypt hate the people in Gaza. And they are, are balking at their government helping in the situation because the situation is much more dire in Gaza than it even is in the West Bank because Hamas is the one that controls it. And so the Egyptians are saying it's, if they wanted to let Hamas control their people, then they should all starve. And they do, the Egyptians do not want um, the people from the, uh, the, West, uh, the, the Gaza Strip coming into Egypt. So no, there is no, which it's kind of ironic when everybody pitches a fit and we say, hey, why don't we check out people who are coming into America? And everybody's like, oh, that's so racist, and yet they won't. But I, I'm, I, don't, I have no commentary on that unless you want to meet me outside, and then I'll tell you exactly how stupid I think that is. No. Well, there's no temple. Um, while we were in Israel, we met with a uh, Orthodox rabbi. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's, he's an Orthodox rabbi. Uh, and he has emailed me today. He would like to come Halloween night and speak to us. And he can answer those questions. I'm going to talk in the elders meeting and get permission to allow him to come speak. And if we okay that, then we will have an orthodox rabbi who, that can answer those questions, why there's no sacrifice. Um, there is actually a, uh, a group in Israel that is raising red heifers um, to prepare for a sacrificial system. And this year, for Yom Kippur, there was a group that petitioned uh, the, the, the people that control the, the, the temple mound and asked for permission to do a sacrifice and they were denied on the base, basis that it would, it would cause major riots. And uh, the, the, the Israeli Supreme Court has said that the police can deny people's religious rights if it saves lives from riots. And so they landed on that and said, no, you can't do it. But this is the first year that that request has ever been made, and I guarantee it won't be the last, last one. That's going to become an issue. well just like we have different denominations um catholic protestant and then even within those breaks, same way in, in Judaism. So they have what's called um, Orthodox, which would believe that the Bible is God's word, and they try to follow it. Some Orthodox are the people that you see that wear the funny big black hats. When we were getting on the flight in Tel Aviv coming here, I was, man, I was lusting after some of those hats. Man, they got some cool hats, big old brims. And uh, they, yeah, they'll, they'll have the, the little things that run, the ringlets, um, and they shaved the back of their head. We saw little bitty kids run around with, their, with the curls in their rings. I, I was trying to get Judy and Susie to say, I was like, I want, I want can I, if I grow my hair like that, will y'all, y'all support me? Because uh, I think that looks cool. Uh, they wouldn't agree. But so that's Orthodox. Then you have Reformed, which is like uber liberal. And then you have Conservative, which is what we would consider liberal. They don't actually follow, they don't keep kosher. They, they are like, you know, the Bible is a general idea we're going to follow. Um, and so on the Orthodox side, you've got ultra-Orthodox, which are people who are fighting for rebuilding of the temple, fighting for there to be sacrifices on the temple mound. They actually refused military service. There's tension inside of the Israeli nation over that. Um, so my hope is if we have him here Halloween night, he can answer a lot of those questions way better than I, I do. quite a few of them in New York. And, uh, they uh they used to hire us to light their fires, uh their stoves and stuff the Saturday evening at, uh, yeah they weren't allowed to because of the Sabbath they weren't allowed to no, all right. do any kind of work Yes, and in fact they have um Sabbath, the elevators all, I know, and all the elevators in Israel, they have a key switch that's like the fire key, and one of them, the things is Sabbath or Shabbat. And I ask, what is that about? And apparently, each, the elevator stops on every floor so you don't have to work and push the button. And they have people that they hire that come in their house to cut the lights on because that's work. And you can't drive because pushing the gas pedal has been ruled as work. So you have to hire somebody to drive you around. So all kinds of fun stuff like that. Yes, sir. gonna be the of the temple? Maybe. Um, what he told us was and what I, I heard from actually a couple of Jews that I asked, um, was that it doesn't matter where it's located so long it's on that mount. And so right beside the Dome of the Rock is a great big open courtyard. And so a lot of people are saying the solution would be let's build a temple there, right there, there's nothing there, and then we're not making anybody mad. Um, There's the Dome of the Rock, which tradition holds is where the, uh, the Holy of Holies would have been, and then just... Down from the Dome of the Rock, about 100 feet, is al Assad Mosque, which is where um, the mosque was that that, um, Muhammad supposedly came to visit, and then he ascended to heaven from the rock, which is what the Dome of the Rock is on. So there are two mosques right there uh, on the top. The gold dome that you see is the Dome of the Rock, and it's over rock. Now, the Temple Mound underneath it, they are doing all kinds of archaeology, the, the Muslim controllers of the, the, the Temple Mount are saying they're trying to undermine the Dome of the Rock so it collapses and then they can just build their temple there. The, the Jewish government is saying, we're just trying to do archaeological finds. And some of the latest archaeology has suggested that the temple was not where everybody has thought it was, that it's actually used to sit where the, um, that courtyard is now. So that, that may end up being what happens. Um. Susie actually... and Did you go with her when you, you went under the, underneath? I've heard that that's a fascinating uh, walk around in those caverns. Did you all see the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. Um, yes, in the warehouse in Washington, uh, there is an Egyptian, uh, Ethiopian temple that they claim they've had the ark for the last 2,000 years and uh, one person is allowed to care for the ark and go in. And so uh, I've always thought that that was just superstitious silliness, but the rabbi said, I think the Egyptians, have, I mean the Ethiopians have the ark. And so we'll, once we build a temple, God will make sure we get it back. So it's in Rome? No. But there's an ark there of Titus that was built 2,000 years ago. And anybody can see can see all the things that were taken out of the temple by the Romans. And it's in, you can put it up on anything. All the things that took it to Rome. Yep. Well, the ark wasn't there, though. And I, I actually, while we were in Israel, I had a question answered for me that I've asked. I asked multiple Hebrew scholars in seminary, and they didn't know the answer to it. And, and the question I had was, what did they do with the blood during the second temple? Because there was no ark. And he said, oh, they just sprinkled it on the floor. I'm like, okay, so you're the, why could not anybody else ever tell me that? But the ark has been disappeared since the first temple fell with the Babylonians. And Jewish tradition has said that Isaiah hid it under the temple in in all those caverns under the the dome any other questions this is fascinating I could talk about it all day yes ma'am There are some groups that can. Uh, they're called the Kohen, and they would be from the tribe of Levi. Anybody, If you meet anybody who's Jewish, and his last name is Cohen, he's a Levite. Uh, Kohen is Hebrew for priest. Um, but uh, they're, one of the things that, that I've always in reading in the book of Revelation, which we're going to get go through a lot uh, in just a few months, I'm scared to death, um, is that, uh, like, when the two witnesses show up in Jerusalem and preach that there's going to be 144,000 who are, are saved and they know what tribe they're from. So how are we going to do that? Well, if I want to go right now to 23andMe and, and spit on a swab and send it to them, they can tell me fairly accurately what my genetic background is. I mean, I, I can... I, I know that it would come back that I'm a mutt, um, which the best dogs are always mutts, so I'm okay with that. Um, purebred mutts are, are, dogs are no good. Um, so something would have to happen where that, those tribes could be identified again. But yeah, that's always one of the things I've thought, hmm, I wonder how that's going to work out. And it's, 10 years ago, I would have never thought that genetic testing would have gotten to the point where you could just and mail it to somebody and them say, yeah, you you got some British and German and So but Cohen are the only ones that I know of that, that claim to know what tribe. I want to say that I've heard somebody claim that they knew that they were Benjamite. But I I, I could be making that up. That, and that could have just been talking when people call themselves apostles. It's kinda of like you kinda of go, okay, so we're using made up names now. Any other questions? Well, has this been helpful? Has this been fun? Good, good. Um, Oh, and nailed the time. All right, well, we're going to close in prayer. And elders, don't forget we've got an elders meeting, and uh, we've got our trustees who are going to give us a presentation there, and it's going to be big, crazy fun. Father God, Lord, we thank you. Uh, We thank you that your promises that you made 6,000 years ago, we can stand here in 2018 and see you keeping them. That just is amazing. God, we thank you that you're such an awesome God. I pray that we would go out of here tonight remembering that you do keep promises. And that when you said, Lo, I will be with with you always, even to the end of the age, that you keep that promise. And when you said, I will send to you a comforter and a teacher in my spirit, that you keep that promise. And God, we thank you that your promise that you're coming back will be kept. Lord, we love you, and we live in such exciting times. Lord, I pray that you would go with us, help us to represent you well. In Jesus' name, amen.